0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Hey, thank you for having me. I forgot that my video was getting shown as well this morning. It's very confronting seeing yourself on the big screen. But uh, I'm very thankful that Andrew allowed me to align uh, my preaching the city with the Brisbane Marathon. It's allowed me to knock over two things with... On one morning, so just a quick 20 Ks and here we are preaching, so no, look, those that don't know me, I made a big statement at the start of COVID that if I've got five children, married to the beautiful Chrissy, we've got five kids and uh, after three days in isolation with my children... And uh, knowing the only thing I was allowed to do away from the house was to run or go out and exercise, I made the big statement, stupidly in front of people like Andrew, that by the end of COVID, I'm going to look like Steve Monagetti. Well, that didn't happen. And I still haven't run a marathon. Hey, hi, uh, it's just a real privilege to be here and I, Andrew, thank you for your generous welcome and great. It's my first time in the morning. I've been here at night, so let's just get that straight. I have visited the city, but it's the first time I've been here in the morning and it's just awesome to be here. It's really different when you're in a, a campus of your own to step into one of our other Gateway campuses. It feels strangely familiar and it's awesome looking out at some faces that I've known for over 20 years as part of the Gateway story. But uh, it's also, it's it's... The same but different, and that's really cool. And I just also want to honour Andrew and Megan in their leadership here. Um, the the best thing I can say about this guy is I've known him for over 20 years, and the person you see on stage is the same person you see off it. And I get to see him uh, behind the scenes and in some of sometimes ministry's hard work. Get to see some of the hard days, uh, but his love for Jesus, his passion for this church, and his care for you. Uh, is the same here as what happens behind closed doors and so you guys have got a ripper of a pastor, an incredible team here with PJ and Hannah and everyone else. Uh, I scare myself when I hear us talking about our dream for the future but as I drive and, and I love doing road trips, like it's one of the things our families embrace over the years, we love doing driving holidays and Done some big road trips. We've got a soft floor camper that we've taken many miles around Australia. And one of the things I notice when you drive through country communities is there's some incredible church buildings that are the place of prominence in most communities in Australia. Uh, For 25 years now, I've worshipped as part of Gateway, and most Sundays that I step in there, I take for granted that I'm part of a church that has an incredible history and heritage and people that have gone before in sacrificing significantly so that I can experience what I get to experience today. As I drive past every one of those churches, I think about all the people that sacrificed to build churches and to build communities that have actually gone on to bless their community and bless the nation and send people to all corners of the world as we as a church have been able to do. What excites me now is it's now our time. Like we we don't just want to rest on the stories of the past. We want to be those that people look back one day on this time in history and recognise what we sacrificed so that the church could continue to play a prominent role in uh, blessing our community, in teaching people about Jesus, in uh, bringing kingdom transformation. The kingdom of Jesus is still good news. It's always going to be good news. Jesus said 2,000 years ago, the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against his church and he's proven true. And so anytime people want to talk about the decline of the church or the death of the church or you know a post-Christian culture, there's some reality that we're in times right now that are incredibly challenging. But guess what? Jesus' promise will continue to be true. And so as we stay faithful to what Jesus calls us to do, we know we're on the side of the victor. We've just come out of a, a series in the book of Revelation Where the overarching theme is, no matter what faces you, you're on the victorious side. So continue to press on, to persist, to not give up when things get tough. And I'm excited about where we stand on this side of history and the opportunities that stand before us. The 25th of March 2012 was the first Sunday that we held services at Gateway Ormo. That stage, there was just a dream in the heart of the church a gateway, been very, he's a very well resourced church and was a large church. And we felt it was time for us to take some of that resource and start to plant in communities where we believe we had the opportunity to be a blessing and to take the good news of Jesus. And we identified this community on the northern Gold Coast, and there's a whole story behind how that emerged. I was in a life group with two families that met in Ormo. I'd never heard of Ormo. Most of you may not have heard of Ormo. It's not that spectacular. When we describe Ormo to people, we say, we are the Gold Coast, because we are. You know, there's nothing Gold Coast about it. But when people say, well, where do we find you? It's like, well, we're about 10 minutes north of Dreamworld." And Everyone goes, oh, Dreamworld! I know where Dreamworld is. I've never heard of Ormo. But Almo Pimpamah is one of the fastest growing regions in all of Australia. And so the population was growing, but the church population wasn't. There's a couple of great churches in our region, but not many. And so we identified this area. We'd done all of the work on looking at the demographic. We had more zero to nine-year-olds in our community than we had anyone else. And so we thought employing a kids pastor like Donna would be a great strategic move. And so we started a church with our first service on the 25th of March, 2012. 180 people turned up to Livingston Christian College Hall that afternoon, and we came full of faith, full of enthusiasm, with no idea what we were doing, but with a group of people like John Owen Liz at the time that just believed God wanted to do something awesome. And that first service was a great celebration. We learned a couple of things. Uh, it would be no surprise to you by looking at me that food's always been part of my strategy for church growth. And on that day, we thought a great cafe was going to be one of the things that was going to help people uh, just build community. Tim Hanna, who was the first pastor I served under, said to me once, if I'm going to play in a church, the first thing I'd buy is a barbecue. And I took that literally and we invested heavily in hospitality. It was a great idea until about eight o'clock on that first night when we were working out how to get the hot oil that we'd use for the hot chips out of the hall with brand new vinyl that the school had laid because it was still at 850 degrees. And at that point, the hot chips of Gateway Ormo lasted one week. We never did them again. But we learned some lessons. But we walked out of that full of faith about what God was going to do. You know, we believed week one, 180 people and a lot were just visitors from Gateway McKenzie that were coming to cheer us on, but we just knew as soon as people heard of this new church community that was emerging in almost, things would just explode. I led an incredible six months for that church. By the last Sunday in September in 2012, we had 42 people in worship. You meant just, that's, that's not great. And fast forward to Vision Sunday 2013, still with faith in our heart, but a little bit of reality setting in, I thought it was time to re-envision the church towards what I believed God was calling us to look like in that 12 months. Because I still believe that, you know, if we continue to be faithful to serving Jesus, that the growth would come. So we set out 160 chairs in the Livingston School Hall. We, We had a few things going against us. We met at 4pm in the afternoon The entire western wall of the school was glass and there was no air conditioning at all. So we brought in these industrial fans that meant no one could hear a word that came off stage but people at least felt there was some airflow in the hall. So there was a few environmental factors but we all know the environmental factors shouldn't get in the way of Jesus doing what he wants to do, right? So we set up 160 chairs. We had these green plastic chairs. I've got a little photo about what our hall looked like in the early days. And we had these green plastic chairs and so we set out 160 of them. They, they were indiscriminate, these chairs, in that every Sunday one of them would explode under someone. But they were indiscriminate in the sense that you didn't have to be the biggest person in the room for that to happen. I think I only broke one. I think the unlucky person that sat on the chair I'd sat on the week before though, that week just, they weren't even moving. They'd just be sitting there and we'd be mid-message and just crack, this thing would just kind of disintegrate underneath them. It was a weekly occurrence, but it, was, it added some joy to our service. So, I set out 160 of these chairs. And you know, I was like, God, come on to a new year. You know, we've had our first year, we've learned some lessons, but we're going to step into a new year full of faith and we're just going to believe that you're going to do some great things. Vision Sunday. It's the Sunday across Gateway's history where we get one of our better attendances. People come out to hear where we're heading and what we're going to do, and we rally the troops and we speak about the great vision for the future. And with the 160 chairs laid out, uh, this is the report that I sent back into the church. We had 26 kids, 32 adults and 60 people in church. So when the, when the kids left, I had 32 people sitting in a sea of 160 seats. That didn't feel so good. It gets better because we obviously inspired the giving because there was zero total offering received, zero new connect cards and zero red bags, which is what we used to give out to anyone new. Like this was the peak of my ministry experience right here. Like I was a visionary leader that envisioned 32 adults into church. I have to be really honest, this is one of the greatest moments of self-reflection and probably one of the greatest lows in my ministry life. I mean, I didn't even have the excuse of a COVID pandemic. All I had to lean on was my own leadership. And I found myself questioning my capacity. Questioning my capacity to lead. Question whether it was worth it, whether it was possible to plan a church the way we were trying to plan it. I was quickly losing confidence in my gift and my ability. And if I'm really honest, I was starting to question whether God was really on our side because even in our weakness, surely he's the one that should come through and be our strength right. I mean, preaching a visionary message to 32 people in a sea of... 160 really ugly looking $10 plastic Bunnings chairs wasn't my highlight moment. Ministry and mission's easy, right? I don't think sometimes we just live off the highlight moments, but there's a reality that sometimes the thing God calls us to do isn't going to be easy. One of the greatest uh, characters in biblical history is the Apostle Paul. He wrote a large chunk of the New Testament. And he was a man of great affluence and education that had a really significant role and had an encounter with Jesus that changed the entire course of his life as Jesus sent him into full-time vocational mission telling the Gentile world about who Jesus was. Throughout Paul's writings in the Scripture, we get a little sense of what the journey looked like for Paul and it wasn't always the highlight moments one point, this is how he describes his journey. And if I was going to start the sentence for him, it would be like this. Since I met Jesus, five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. I mean, that's like being whipped. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked and besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches." Anyone else want to step into mission and live the journey that Paul lived? I mean, whipped, beaten, shipwrecked, homeless, naked, hungry, tired, exhausted, overwhelmed—no friends. It's not a great ad, is it, to follow Jesus into mission? Uh, Eleanor, who was up here before, I just really want to honour Eleanor. She's been serving Jesus on the mission field uh, for more decades than many of us in some of us in this room have been alive. 30 years of serving Jesus in mission. And I said to Eleanor, Eleanor, could you write for me a testimony like Paul's testimony about what mission has looked like for you? And Eleanor sent it through to me and this is what she writes. I've been called a fool. I've been called irresponsible and I've been ridiculed for leaving my job and financial security as a school teacher to go into missions and to live by faith. I've been told the only reason I became a missionary was because I couldn't get married. I've been accused of being in a cult. I've been threatened with beating. I've been investigated and taken to the police station for further questioning. I've been in multiple earthquakes and war zones. On four occasions, I've had my life threatened with death. I've been caught up in several community riots for preaching the gospel. I've been expelled from homes and halls on numerous occasions. I've been insulted and mocked more times than I can count. I've been sexually insulted several times. I've been hospitalised with all sorts of diseases I've witnessed people being severely beaten and some dying as a result of their faith. I've been strip searched by police. I've been robbed and pickpocketed and I could go on and on. Ellen's going to be running a session at the end of church today, inviting anyone that wants to step into mission (laughs) to go and find out how you too could live such a luxurious life of following Jesus onto the mission field. You know, any marketing expert is going to tell you that this is not the way to sell anything. It's not the way to sell anything. I mean, surely mission, if we're going to convince people to follow Jesus' call onto the mission field, surely we should put up photos of exotic locations talking about how you can travel the world, meet new friends, try some incredible cuisine. I did a short-term mission trip with Eleanor into India. It was incredible. Um, I got told to be careful with what I ate and that I would likely come home skinnier than I was. I'm the only person to do a short-term mission trip and put on three kilos. The cuisine was phenomenal. And I didn't get a day sick. I don't know why. I've just got an iron gut. But surely that's it, isn't it? Eating incredible cuisine, having a great adventure, and having the joy of leading people to Jesus. If you take five minutes at the end of today and talk to any uh, mission worker, any pastor, and ask them if the journey's been comfortable and easy, they too would very easily be able to call to mind the challenges of the journey and the list of the things that have confronted them from the moment that they chose to say yes to Jesus. Step outside of vocational ministry and mission for a moment and talk to any business owner or trades person or teacher or doctor or the list could go on who has taken seriously the call of Jesus into their professional world, tried to live by the standards and the behaviours that God would expect of them. And they too would be able to give you a list of the challenges that have followed that decision. There is a cost to following Jesus. Whether in the world that you are now, or if one day Jesus calls you into vocational mission or ministry. And I just want to say very carefully today that I don't think that's the ultimate call. I think the ultimate call for any one of us is to step into the very thing that God has intended for us. And for some of you, that is faithfully working in the medical profession or teaching or running a business that honours God. For some of you, that's going to be working in a public service. See, this is not an ultimate goal of vocation. The ultimate goal of vocation is that you discover who God's created you to be and you step into that with the desire to follow Jesus in any area of life that he calls you. Because the kingdom needs all kinds of people giving their all to build a great community and see the kingdom of Jesus come on earth as it is in heaven. There's a cost to following Jesus wherever he takes you. He himself said it, and the Gospel of Luke, he tells a story that says this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundations and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you can, uh, you have cannot be my disciples. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. i make it really clear there's a cost to following Jesus into a broken, hurting, messed up world. And one of the reasons for this is that when we step out in the name of Jesus, there's going to be a clash of kingdoms. Jesus in Luke chapter four, and we've been preaching out of this passage through this revival series, steps up in the synagogue and he's handed the scroll from Isaiah and he reads a passage from Isaiah. This story is recorded for us in Luke four and Jesus says, I've come to be good news to the poor, to bring freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. See, Jesus outlines in that moment what his mission was, what he's here to do. And let me just pick the last one of those for a moment. Jesus says, I'm here to set the oppressed free. Who, who's oppressed? What's, what's oppression mean? Oppressed is someone who is subject to the power and abuse and control of another, meaning they have lack of access to the same opportunities, freedoms, and benefits of the one that oppresses them. So, to live out the mission of Jesus in bringing freedom for the oppressed it means that people have to confront the oppressors. And to confront oppression means to confront the powerful. You see, we live in a world where those that have power, sometimes in an attempt to love and keep their power and their wealth and their affluence, choose to tread and stand on those underneath them. And if we're going to live out Jesus' mission to stand up for the oppressed, it means we're going to have to confront those in power. Ultimately, Jesus died because he confronted the oppressors. And those in power didn't like that he stood on the side of the oppressed. And so, as we follow Jesus into mission and into his mission, we too will confront powers and authorities that are going to be threatened, confronted by our attempt to dismantle their power. See, mission will always come at a cost because there's always going to be a kingdom clash. But the good news of Jesus is that there's hope for the oppressed, that in Jesus, the oppressed find freedom. You know, I'd do a real injustice to my story, to Eleanor's story and to the Apostle Paul's story if I just left it in the testimonies that you've heard. A month ago today, I... uh, was on our church camp. I think you guys later in the year, you'll hear about the city retreat, but for about five years now, Ormo has been running a church camp. Um, I don't know what it is about our church camp, but more people come to camp than turn up to our Sunday service. (laughs) What what is it? We must run a decent camp. But a month ago on Sunday, we were out at beautiful Christmas Creek, 260 people in worship together in a, a, a hall on a property. Largest Sunday morning attendance we've ever had. If you had to drive an hour and 15 west to be part of it. At the end of that service, we walked down to Christmas Creek and I got to stand in the river as four of our young people that weren't born when we started Ormo, stepped into the river and were baptised. That was a really cool moment. That was a really cool moment. But on the walk down there as we were heading down to these baptisms, this guy runs up to me who's been with us since day one, but you know, the stories, they've, they've had a, a great but a challenging story apart and we haven't seen a lot of him recently, but he caught up to me on the way down. That this family never misses camp. And he said, who's running the baptism today? I said, oh, well, I am, I guess. He goes, look, is it too late for you to add to the baptism service? He said, uh, my whole family is wondering if we get baptised together. I get a little emotional. <laughs> I, I stood in a river, husband, wife and their daughter, who had been with us for 10 years and done the journey. And there's been some highlights and some lowlights. And I said, we, we had nothing organised. So I just said, look, and it was cold. Any, anyone up there that's been part of their journey, feel free to come. And fully clothed kind of adults are just wading into the river to be part of this moment as we baptise an entire family together. And they come up out of the water and the whole church cheered and 260 of us gathered around and prayed for them. And I thought in that moment, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. It's time to retire. It does not get any better than this. And I look back on the hard days when I wasn't ready to retire. I was just ready to give up. Because I, I, it was just, I'd started to question my capacity and whether there was anything in this. And then i reminded of those moments that we shouldn't give up. Let me just speak a word of hope into you guys this morning because I don't know if we could have picked a harder time to have planted a church than when we planted the city campus and then we ran into a global pandemic that shut down ordinary uh, gathering like we've never known in our lifetime. But yeah, I stand here today and I see a community of people committed to each other and committed to the cause and committed to the mission and city... The early years of church planning are hard work. It's hard work. But don't give up, persist. Keep turning up. Keep giving your best, keep giving your all. You know, on the Sundays when you wake up and it's cold, you know, the sun's shining in through your window and all you can think of is bacon and eggs and lying in bed and get out of bed and get to church and be part of what Jesus wants to do through this community because God's got some great days in store as you continue to persist and walk forward together. You know, Eleanor, when she sent me her list of uh, things that she's been through, said, wow, until I started writing this list, I didn't realise how long it was going to get and I could go on. And I know there's some things that she left off that list because they're probably a little bit too inappropriate to mention in church. But I know some of the things that Eleanor's confronted in her mission life. But in the text she sent me when she just, she texted me and said, oh, I've just sent you that email. She said this, do you need more or is that enough? I said, "No, no, that should be fine. But then she concluded by saying this, God has been so faithful to me in 29 years. See, if we just live in the testimony of what's difficult, We don't get to experience the goodness of what happens when we persist in stepping forward into all that God has for us. The Apostle Paul, beaten, shipwrecked, naked, imprisoned, whipped, flogged, stoned, writes this, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul's testimony is really simple. As I went in the adventure of following Jesus, there was a significant personal cost. But there was also a significant, a more significant personal price. And it's the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Yeah, to follow Jesus is gonna be a cost, but there's an even greater reward. We believe as a church that God wants to take us into a brand new season where some new doors are going to be flung open. But God can open the doors. He needs some people to walk through them. We're in a series called Revival, and we pray for revival in our church. We pray for revival in our lives. We sing about it. We dream of it. If you go and Google Revival, you'll just get a whole image library of fire and people in worship. There's something in us that, that pictures a revival like full buildings and sold out hearts. We want that and it's one of the things we dream but revival's not about what happens when we come into the building. Revival actually starts when we go out of the building, when we walk through the doors that God opens for us. Let me give you a little analogy that God's put on my heart this week but I really love food and there's nothing better than going to a buffet. Buffets are deeply disappointing for me because you can never fit in as much as you want right like you always just disappoint yourself at some level but there's nothing worse than when you talk yourself into still having a meal earlier in the day and then turning up to the buffet thinking I don't feel hungry but I'm going to persist anyway and you eat this great looking food I'm building a bad stereotype Andrew's laughing at me here you eat this great looking food but you're forcing it in because you're not actually that hungry but you don't want to Disappoint yourself from not taking up the opportunity to enjoy what's before you. I actually think it's a great metaphor for revival. If we eat too much and then go and feast out on something more, it's never as good as experience as if we actually eat and then go and burn the calories and do the work to build the hunger within us. As we cry out for revival... Some of us are spiritually full, but we're not actually exercising our faith to the point where we're actually desperate for another meal. If you want church to be the best experience it can possibly be, don't worry about what happens up here, how good the preaching is, how short the preaching is, you know, how tight the worship is, whether the worship leader's string breaks in the first song. Poor guy. Don't assess what happens here because if you go out and you're exercising all that God has given to you, you come in here you're hungry and it doesn't matter about what else happens. You just come in here desperate. You just come in here desperate for the things of God because there's a hunger that's been born in you because you've been exercising your faith where it really matters. If we really wanna start to see God revive us, it is a move of the Spirit. But revival was all or about kingdom fruitfulness and kingdom proclamation, not about us having a better time in worship. But the worship gets better because we step in hungrier, because we empty ourselves on behalf of the poor, the needy, the oppressed, the blind, the broken. And we come in and we go, oh God, I just so need you in this moment. Fill me up, fill me up and let me continue to walk into all that you have for me. You wanna see revival break out? Start moving. Get active and miraculously your hunger for other things will only increase. Revival starts when God's spirit compels God's people to get active in living out God's kingdom mission. So God wants to open some doors. Let me just prompt in you some things that God might be pressing and impressing on your life. Maybe some in this room today, God's going to put his finger in your life and ask you to go and serve some of the poorest of the poor. I stood in this very slum that you'll see the photo come on the screen, actually with Eleanor years ago. I think this is the same place, but this community was on council land. It was, uh, it's water supply, it's bathing supply and it's sanitary supply was actually the leftover water from an ice factory just up the road. And so it depended where, on the stream that flowed from the ice factory, you went as to whether you could drink it, wash in it or toilet in it. And that is every house in this community. But well, the kingdom of God is good news for the poor and God's going to put his finger on some of your life to go and serve the poor and help them discover the hope that comes in Jesus. Maybe some of you, God wants to put his finger on your professional life and your vocation. you had got a young Guy, and you're going to hear from his uh, wife Anna tonight that's done the same thing, but young guy Ryan, who is a skilled pilot that heard the call of God to go and serve in mission, flying, that's what he does. doesn't stand and preach. He gets behind a plane and he flies because that's what God skilled him to do, but he does it in the name of Jesus so the kingdom of God can break through into poor communities. Maybe some of you won't be called to go to the other side of the, well, but you might be called to actually serve the poor in our community. And uh, the city care that happens out of here every week that's serving some of the broken in inner city Brisbane. Maybe that's what God wants to put his finger on your life to be part of. Stepping through that open door to actually go and serve the poor and the broken, the hungry, the homeless and the needy in our own community. Maybe like uh, 10 years ago for me and Three years ago, for some of you, God's going to put his finger on your life to actually prepare to go and plant more churches so that more people can hear the good news of Jesus. Local to them in a way that they understand. Maybe some of you here are going to train for that. You're going to prepare for that. You're going to move for that. We've had people now that have moved to Ormo because God so captured their heart about their church that they've moved to our community so they can be closer to what God wants them to do. Maybe for some of you, it's actually just seeing the opportunity God's put in front of you right here. And you're not going to come to Gateway City Campus as a consumer. You're going to step into a brand new space now as a contributor to actually be part of a community that reaches people for Jesus. I actually wonder if the door some of us need to step through is the one we're already stepping through every day. But just to do it in a new way, with a new perspective, a new attitude, whether into your schoolyard, your university campus, whether into your office, onto your job site, into your own backyard, in your own neighbourhood. Each day we step through doors where God has a kingdom assignment for us. Now we can do that and go through the motions or we can step through it, taking up the call of Jesus to be salt and light to be his hands and feet, to be his mouthpiece, to allow his spirit to use us to make a difference to those that we live, work and laugh with. What's God calling you to do? Yeah, sometimes I think, and especially when we're a bit younger, we do this a bit more, I think. We, we sit back and we wait for the roadmap to be handed to us. What things are going to look like in 10 years' time. But when Jesus called his first disciples to follow, he didn't give them a roadmap. He just turned up at their place of work and said, follow me. On that first day, Matthew, who was a tax collector, was doing pretty well for himself, collecting tax from others, stepped out of his tax collector booth and took a first step towards following Jesus with no idea of where it was going to lead. Peter and Andrew and John stepped away from their fishing business which in kind of the ancient Near East was probably, again, a fairly lucrative business. And Jesus just came and said, follow me. And something captured their spirit that they said, they didn't say, where's the roadmap? Where is it gonna take us? What's it gonna look like? I reckon if Jesus told them exactly what it was gonna look like, they would have stepped back into their boat. But He didn't, He just said, would you follow me? And there was something so compelling about the call of Jesus that they stepped away from their boat and took that first step in following Jesus. See, maybe Jesus is gonna call some of you to follow Him and the step He needs you to take is back into the boat. Like, He'll take us all on the adventure if we just have the faithfulness to step in the direction that He calls. And so as we step into our future as a church, as we think about what the world looks like when this generation of people puts its imprint on it and when people drive the streets one day and see the legacy of what we've done together, my question this morning is, are you willing just to take whatever step Jesus asks you to take without necessarily knowing what the end point's gonna be? But when you hear His voice and you hear His call, your heart is willing just to say, Jesus, if you call, I will follow. For some, it might be into vocational mission, for some, it might be into vocational ministry. For some, it's going to be doing the profession that God's already got you on the track to doing in a way that sees His kingdom come through what you do. It doesn't matter where we go, it just matters that we have the faithfulness and obedience when we hear His voice, to have the willingness to step towards it. And that's where I want to land us this morning. If we want to see revival, are we willing to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Continually taking that next step when we hear his voice, when we hear his call. You don't know what it looks like, but when you hear it, will you step towards it? I'd love just to pray for us before we sing this morning, and my, my response is really simple. If you just want to say today, Jesus, as I stand in this moment, I just want to declare before you that I'm open and I'm willing that when you call, I will follow. And if you're just willing to take that next step, whatever that next step is, maybe for some of you today, it's your first step. You've actually just been living your own life and you're gonna make a decision that you're actually gonna realign yourself to the life that Jesus calls you to. If you just want me to pray for you this morning, I just wanna pray in faith that Jesus would honour That step as you choose to follow Him on whatever adventure He chooses to take you. For some, it's going to look like Eleanor's. And one day in 30 years time, you're going to write a story that talks about all the challenges and the adventure, but you're also going to be able to say, but hasn't God been faithful? And I wouldn't swap it for anything. Maybe some of you are going to have my story and you're going to look back and go, well, all those early days of planting church were hard work, but I'm so glad I persisted because now I get to see some of the fruit of the labour that we couldn't see in those early days. Whatever it is, are you willing just to take that next step? Hey, if you'd like me to pray for you this morning before we sing, can I just ask you wherever you are right now just to stand? I just wanna pray a blessing over you. Pray for God's courage, for the infilling of His Holy Spirit. Why don't you just stand? If you're willing to take that next step, hear the voice of Jesus and take that next step in faithful obedience, in faithful courage. you stand now so I can pray for you? If you're sitting there, some of these people want to reach out a hand towards them. We're just going to pray a blessing over them. Lord God, I just want to thank you today. Thank you that you are present here with us, that your spirit is at work. And God, I want to thank you for those that have responded today. And just said, Jesus, wherever I hear your voice, I'll step towards it. And Jesus, I believe some of these that are responding are going to go on an adventure that right now they couldn't even script for themselves. But Lord, that's all right, because you'll be in the midst of it and you'll be the one leading them. So God, I wanna pray that You'd fill them with Your courage, that You'd fill them with faith, that You'd fill them, God, with just a desire for whatever it takes just to continue walking after the voice of Jesus in their life. God, that You'd take them on an incredible adventure that one day they can look back on and say, despite what has gone before me, I just give You thanks because I consider it all as loss for the goodness of knowing Christ Jesus and attaining all that He has for me. Lord, I thank You, thank You that the adventure You call us to is the greatest adventure and purpose that we can find in life. Pray Your blessing on this place today. In Jesus' Name, Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.